0: This is the Pool Together Community Podcast. Pool Together is the world's number one no loss prize savings account. And you can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. You're listening to the Pool Together Community Podcast. And I'm your host, Millie Yearly, AKA Tim, AKA Hot Mike. And I'm so pumped here uh, again to be talking with my friend and yours, Vibin from Stater, about all of the cool things that are happening over there. And so, welcome, sir. <laughs> welcome.
1: Thanks a lot, Mindy, for this opportunity. We're super excited to uh, talk a little bit about what we are building with the full together community. Thanks again for the opportunity. Look forward
0: to it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And just for, for those who you've been on the podcast before, so repeat guests, we don't have a lot of those. In fact, I think you might be either, I'll say second repeat guests like this. So this is great. But could we just do like a, a quick intro of Stater and what it is
1: and just who you are and how you got involved with it? Absolutely. Happy to. And thanks for the opportunity to do this uh, for the second time. Really appreciate it. And we love talking to the community. Perfect. So I'll just start with a little bit about Shader, right? So we are a multi chain liquid staking protocol. So we have been, uh, we are currently live on six chains Polygon, BNB, Phantom, Edera, Near. And we are also launching soon on Ethereum. And that's one of the things that we wanted to talk to the community about. So we want to talk a little bit about what we are bringing to the heat staking uh, ecosystem itself. Our goal at Stader is to help onboard the next billion users to staking. We feel that staking is a very powerful win-win opportunity whereby people can help secure the networks that they do, use, and love. And uh, our job is to really make it simple and secure for users and also give them the best Uh, of staking plus DeFi anywhere we are live. And what we also try and do everywhere that we are live is to try and help enable decentralizations of the network that we are on. So everywhere we are, the type of validators we choose uh, is primarily uh, focused on enabling decentralization of these networks. So that's really, uh, in short, what we do. We started and launched our first product in November 2021. Since then, we have had a crazy ride. Where I think at our peak, we touched a billion dollars in TVL, and uh, we currently have, despite the bear market, we have seen some strong growth. And we're right now at around one hundred fifty million dollars in TVL across the exchange that we're like. Well, congratulations on that. That's great. That's great. Uh, so, what,
0: why, why stake ETH? You know, and then like, how should we do it? Should everyone stake ETH? What could you like explain, like liquid staking versus just staking? Staking does it involve? Meat? what's going on here?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think uh, staking on ETH is quite interesting, right? I think one of the, I mean, one of the first stats is that today, close to $20 billion of ETH is already staked, right? So there's a large number of people already staking ETH, but... Compared to the overall size of ETH, obviously, only 13% of all circulating ETH has been staked, right? Just to kind of recap what staking and how it helps the ETH ecosystem. Essentially, uh, as most people might be aware, uh, ETH transitioned from proof-of-work to a proof-of-stake mechanism when the merge happened, right? So the primary security of ETH network is now via proof-of-stake, where essentially every validator that gets a chance to attest, and proposed blocks actually has to have a certain amount of ETH state. So typically, 32 ETH per validator, right? By having this 32 ETH, what happens is that uh, users are closely aligned with the network they are guarding in the first place. And in case they have, uh, let's say, they perform poorly, or they go offline, or they actually break protocol rules and perhaps do slashable offenses, then they could end up getting slashed and lose a part of the third to ETH they stake as well, right? So that's kind of how ETH keeps its security. In exchange for kind of helping secure the network, people also get rewards on an ongoing basis, right? Currently, uh, on on a blue chip token like ETH, people can earn 5% rewards with staking, right? And since the merge execution layer rewards have also been added to the kitty of takers with MEV as well as uh, priority fees now going to stakers as well. So it's a good time to be looking at staking very closely. Now, talking a little bit about plain staking versus liquid staking, right? So typically what happens in plain staking is you're staking directly with the native contract of the network. And at that point in time, the ETH that you stake, for example, is then with the native contract and you can't use it elsewhere. So the only thing your ETH is doing is helping secure the network and you earn staking yield on it. But however, you might not be able to use it in DeFi or any other place because this is actually like kind of kept with the validator, right? Now, this is where liquid staking comes in. It's a very simple concept where we provide a representative token or a derivative token. And all this liquid staked token represents is your staked Ethereum assets, right? So if you come and stake 100 ETH with us at the beginning, for example, you would get 100 ETHX, which is our liquid staking token. Now, You can now take ETHX and start using it in DeFi. Meanwhile, the Ethereum that you deposited through us into the Ethereum staking contract will continue to earn staking yield. So, Therefore, you have suddenly solved for the problem of only being able to participate in staking. And with liquid staking and this representative token, you're now getting staking yield, right? Which ETHX kind of continues to get in the background from the staked Ethereum that's earning rewards. Plus, you can uh, use ETHX in many defi protocols right the typical place could be you could go and farm it farm with it in a in a liquidity pool or you could use it to do leverage staking you can use it as collateral on money markets like aave Euler, compound etc so that's the objective so essentially the idea behind liquid staking is to provide a representative asset whereby users can get both staking yield as well as participate in defi and don't have to choose between the two Okay. So you started with Matic X, right? And now
0: you're on ETH. Why ETH now? Why, why not just like live in the safe polygon bubble?
1: Why why are you going big leagues now? Yeah, I think uh, we've had a good run on Polygon so far. So we have, uh, I think, close to $45 million plus in TVR, which is about 40-45% uh, of all liquid state market share on Polygon. So we've had a good run with MaticX so far. And the idea is really that we have now live on not just Polygon, we are also live on BNB, on Phantom, on Hedera, on Near, and Terra 2.0 because Terra is where we originally started as Terra, right? So as a... Uh, as a service to the community, we have kind of shifted and are live on Terra 2.0 as well. But those are six chains that we've already been live on over the last year, year and a half we've been building. And uh, we've now kind of, uh, I think one of the interesting things is that Polygon also wants to scale ETH. So we want to participate in that journey and see how we can contribute more to ETH. I'll talk a little bit more as we kind of talk a little further about some gaps that we saw in the ETH taking ecosystem itself, right? So uh, one of the things that we didn't want to do is actually just, obviously, Ethereum is the big leagues. So we didn't want to come and participate just because Ethereum is where a lot of the staking action is, a lot of the DeFi action is. We wanted to ensure that we would be able to bring something uh, truly value-adding to the ETH ecosystem. And that's why it took us a little bit of time to understand where is it that we can really contribute as well. So that's why we've kind of taken the time to understand what we can bring to the ETH community. And I'll talk a little bit more about it soon, which is why we clearly saw a few challenges that were unsolved that we could perhaps work on. And that's how our ETHX token has been designed.
0: So when you say it increases in value, right? So you get yield from your staked ETH, correct? Uh, correct. That's correct. correct? So the way we set it up is like your typical... How is that, how is that distributed? Does it, does it grow? Yeah, grow an amount, or is there like some, like where you, you, yeah, so if you could just kind of walk through the mechanics of how it would work to stake ETH with through Stator.
1: Absolutely. I think, so this is, this will be a standard ERC-20 token, and it will be a, a C-token uh, model. So I think some of the C-tokens that people would be familiar with is perhaps the YV tokens, the YearnWall tokens, for example, what happens there is... Uh, your token actually appreciates in value as yield comes in, right? In this case, for example, let's start with 100 ETH and you get 100 ETHX on day one. Now, uh, we continue to earn staking yield on this 100 ETH that's deposited to the staking contract. So if we take the current run rate, let's say this 100 ETH will become 105 ETH. Now, what will happen is you will still hold the 100 ETHX, but it now represents 105 ETH with the native staking contract. So the value of each ETHX will now become 1.05. So that's what I say when, when I say it's a C token, essentially it cumulatively continues to grow with respect to the token, right? So in this case, for example, ETHX will go to 1.05 and then keep growing as well. So typical to like your year vault token that people might be familiar with, for example.
0: Okay, so so the amount of tokens is not going up. It's the value of the tokens that goes up, correct?
1: Uh, correct. And therefore, people are not getting more and more tokens. So in some jurisdictions, for example, obviously, I'm not a tax expert, uh, but it's also more tax efficient to have a token like this, which grows in value and doesn't produce more tokens, right? So the number of tokens you received will be the same as when you stay, but the value of these tokens keep going up over time. And this is great uh, from tax perspective in a certain set of jurisdictions, it's also easier to integrate into DeFi natively, right? A lot of rebasing tokens have to be wrapped for certain protocols to be able to integrate them. So this model of token is also much more easy to integrate into uh, DeFi protocols, which is one of the positives as well. And obviously, if you use it as collateral, the tokens itself continue to grow in value. Thereby, I mean, you get slightly higher leverage, right? In terms of when you use it, the LTV keeps improving as the value of the token keeps growing.
0: Got it. Okay. And this is all mentioned in the, the white paper for the ETH liquid staking, which I noticed that like it's it says learn more on the stator site right now. So it's not available right now, but we can read the right the white paper currently, correct? Okay,
1: correct. Okay. We have the light paper live for ETHX. We have focused a lot on what is the set of challenges that we are addressing with ETHX and the key features of ETH. So that's kind of what we've tried to talk about. I can kind of talk a little bit more about that, right? So essentially, when we looked at the ETH market, what we really found was that there is a high concentration of ETH staked with a few entities, right? I think the top three entities actually account for close to 50% of all ETH staked, right? So uh, very few actual entities, whether it's protocols or centralized exchanges, Control a lot of the Ethereum that's getting staked, right? So this obviously opens up the network to different types of risk, right? Whether it's risk of censorship or a governance attack, etc. So it's very important that uh, the staking that's happening on Ethereum is much more diversified, and that's one of the key things that we want to contribute to, right? Now within this 50%, obviously the top liquid staking protocol itself has 90% market share within liquid staking, and uh, it also happens to delegate to permissioned operators, which means not anyone can kind of run nodes for them. It has to be a whitelisted set of only 30 operators who can currently run nodes for them. Right. So that we found as a little bit of a challenge when it comes to really helping ETH become decentralized. also, The other thing we found was that there are obviously protocols that are working purely with permissionless node operators, but they've kind of struggled to really keep up with user demand. Even when they sell at a premium, for example, they're not able to have enough supply of node operators in a permissionless manner that will allow for more ETH to be staked via them, right? The other thing we also found was that some of the NSDs beyond liquid-staking derivatives beyond, for example, the top protocol don't have meaningful DeFi acceptance, right? So all the top protocols don't yet accept them either as collateral uh, or to mint stable coins, etc. So which means that if users want to sometimes choose and really support decentralization of Ethereum and therefore choose a more decentralized state derivative, that means they have to kind of uh, give up a little bit of the DeFi yield that would have been possible with, let's say, a more centralized liquid saving protocol. And this is precisely the kind of challenge that we want to solve. Right. So uh, that's what we found. And that's why we thought that there's definitely merit for more people to try and help solve for this problem, given that decentralization is at the heart of what Ethereum staking is set up to be.
0: Okay, so like one of my goals, one of my aspirational goals is to be a home staker. Like how awesome would that be if I'm able to just like run my little mainframe staking that ETH, keeping things tight and secure. Is there any way that like me as a home staker can participate with this uh, stator liquid staking?
1: Absolutely. I'm glad to hear that, Millie. So look forward to making this happen for you. So anyone can run nodes permissionlessly for stator from day one, right? So from day one, anyone can permissionlessly run nodes for stator. Now, what we've also found is that Uh, And really just to kind of expand on that, right? One of the things that we wanted to do is therefore bring a more decentralized protocol uh, to Ethereum and help the network, right? And as part of that, homeshakers will be the backbone of the node operations on ETHEX. And not just that, we will have a bonding requirement of just 4 ETH for people who want to run nodes for Stader. Typically, this number is 16 ETH and some improvements are... uh, On the way for certain protocols, it could become 8 ETH, etc. But we want to ensure that there is the most limited amount of friction for anyone wanting to run nodes from home, right? So essentially with Stator, instead of the 30 ETH that you will have to put up if you're a solo staker, or the 16 or 18 ETH, you will have to do with other protocols. With Stator, you just need 4 ETH. So we did like extensive data analysis. And what we found was that the way ETH taking is set up, it's it's set up to be non-severe right, in how it kind of punishes non-malicious performance issues. So we kind of uh, simulated all the key tail risks and found that 4 ETH will be more than sufficient to protect user funds. So we thought that's the right number to go for. This is much more capital efficient for home stakers And it's also much less of a barrier from an entry standpoint for anyone who wants to take from home. So I hope that kind of makes you excited, like the fact that you could now start staking from home with just 4 ETH to begin with. With cedar
0: that's so. The, all, all I need is four ETH, and then I need like the technical requirements to like have a home node. Um, that's that makes it way more attainable. I'm really excited now. <laughs> We're gonna have to talk afterwards. I want to figure this out. Uh, that's very cool. But but then so with the four ETH, right? Because generally with 32 ETH, that's the that's the requirement for home staking generally. Um, how are things kept secure? Because four ETH, four ETH is not as expensive as 32 ETH.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So what happens really is that with 32 ETH users are bit generally, the home homesakers are running nodes just for themselves, right? They're actually not operating nodes for others. Uh, they are running nodes themselves because they are fulfilling the entire 32 ETH requirement. Now, what we have seen other, uh, so this is what we have seen, right? Either protocols then work with permissioned operators who have like who are professional setups and therefore have a very curated, whitelisted set of people only who can run nodes for them. So these will be experienced uh, institutions, et cetera, that run nodes for them, right? And they don't allow anyone to run nodes. And the protocols which are more decentralized and allow anyone to run nodes have had a high requirement on the amount of ETH that they've asked uh, these uh, permissionless node operators to put up. So what we found was the way it's set up is that we pair four ETH from the home with 28 ETH from user funds, right? And marry this together and this goes as 32 ETH into the beacon chain as a deposit, for example. Now, the way we are protecting user funds is that this is used as a bond, right? Because the node operator is really responsible for actually running the node uh, as per the protocol rules and uh, actually performing well, keeping it online, etc. Now, therefore, when performance issues come up and because of that, there is, let's say, a small change, a small negative change to the amount of overall ETH that was deposited to the network, it first comes off the 4E that the node operator themselves have deposited. Thereby, node operators actually stand to lose, let's say, a percentage of like any penalties that they suffer directly from their own bond. So user funds are unaffected and the node operator funds are what get affected. Therefore, there's a lot of incentive for the node operators to actually remain performant, right? Which is why you you are able to allow anyone to kind of get involved and run nodes because essentially they are also... Strongly incentivize not to perform poorly and lose the forage that they have really deposited. On top of that, what we did was also looked at different conditions and how this forage actually is. So I'll go into a little bit of that. Right. So how can uh, this user funds can be at risk? Right. That's the question. So firstly, poor node operator performance can be a problem. So what we did was actually we looked at other protocols where permissionless node operators are already participating and took the worst 20 percentile of node operators, took, looked at their performance and simulated for various use cases. And what we found was that, for example, typically their uh, full uptime is like 89% where they are doing everything accurately and in time, etc. Uh, and even with that level of performance, which is the worst 20 per, bottom 20 percentile performance, uh, I think even over a six-month period, this hardly makes a dent, right? So I think they would have lost only up to about 0.58 perhaps, which will all go from the 40th, right? So even if node operators perform really poorly, those use cases are typically protected. We also looked at other scenarios, for example, slashing. So what happens when a typical slashing event happens is that you lose one ETH right away, then there's a correlation penalty after 18 days. So in total on Ethereum, there have only been about 220 slashing events in the entire history of uh, from the time ETH taking started to now. So that's very low, right? There are 500k active validators; they've been running for so many epochs. And there's only about 220 slashing incidents that have happened. And which means that these tend to be very isolated slashing incidents. So you lose approximately one ETH, which is again covered very clearly by the 40s, comfortably covered as well. Even if there is a slashing, which is, let's say, like, I think stake.us had an incident where Uh, a large chunk of their validators actually got slashed. Even if you take a case like that, for example, and see a similar scenario where the correlation penalty is a little higher, even that is comfortably covered under the 40th. So then we looked at, for example, a different condition where let's say the uh, the chain is not able to finalize. Then what happens is the, penalties are ramped up by ethereum as a protocol because then you can get to finality faster by kicking out people who are fully offline or not performing etc so even under those conditions when within an activity leak right the penalties kind of are ratcheted up by the eth if we take even the worst performing the bottom 20 percent node operators like that i mentioned even that is like well short of the four eth required so what we did was took the worst performing set of players right actually and looked at how they perform even in the most adverse network conditions and some of a very rare occurrences that could happen on Ethereum and found that under all these cases, uh, it comfortably is less than or equal to the four ETH bond that we are actually taking from node operators. So therefore, user funds are protected at all times, right? And that's why, because of the way ETH staking is designed so well to be very non-severe in the punishments it meets meets out to people who are often for example you might be surprised to know the the ROI to turn positive like or the performance needed to turn a positive yield on ethereum is just more than like just I think, shy of 40% uptime right so if you are anywhere between 45% type of uptime you are always making a profit which is like oh wow and that's very unique to where Ethereum is set up, right? I think most other protocols, if you're obviously with anyone who has penalty mechanisms, et cetera, what you will find is that, that level of performance will be very harsh in terms of the uh, what happens to your stake. But Ethereum is set up so beautifully that I think you run like 45%, 50% of the time you have uptime, which is like a lot of room, right? You still turn a profit. So that's really what we've tried to bring to our design of what the bond needs to be, right? Truly reflect, how the staking like, protocol is, itself is designed and kind of pass that on to node users while fully protecting users. So that's how we came to the foreach. So we did this analysis in collaboration with SSB. Also had other key members of the community who have run nodes for a long time, like Staken, so even Rated, et cetera, look at the methodology and provide feedback to us. Okay, a
0: couple more questions here. Uh, there's a DVT pool in your multi-pool architecture.
1: What is, what is that? How, how, is, how is that important? Yeah, so let me kind of talk a little bit about uh, Stader's pool architecture system itself. So I think I have spoken about home who will be the backbone, right? So we want this to be the dominant uh, node operator set for us. In addition to this, one of the things we have seen is that like I touched upon earlier, uh, this is going to be a journey, right? For home stakers and fully permissionless node operators alone to support, let's say, multiple billions of dollars in staked assets. It's going to be a journey and we want to do that journey alongside Homestakers, right? Which is why from day one, we want to start and we want to make improvements like the 40 bond requirement, etc. That'll be really powerful catalysts in this journey. But we are also aware that we are not ready today to have billions of dollars just go through Homestakers. So what we're going to do is complement this with a multi-pool architecture. So there'll always also be a permission node operator set which will help with scalability and complement the supply that Homestakers will provide, Right. So this will act as augmentation of the supply that we have available so that users don't have to necessarily go to more centralized protocols just because they're not able to deposit with us. That's one. Number two, what we want to do is actually uh, improve both of these pools with DVT, which is distributed validated technology. So this will be the third pool that we want to set up once that technology actually stabilizes. I'll talk a little bit about DVT shortly, but essentially then what Strader is going to do is have a multiple architecture. So there are different types of pools which provide node operations for our users with the permissionless pool and the home staker pool, basically, which will be the central part of it. And uh, we will complement that supply with a permission pool as well, which helps with scalability. Then once DVT as a technology matures, we want to have DVT as a, a core pool as well. So I'll talk a little bit about what distributed validator technology does. So essentially in distributed validator technology, Instead of a single node operator running a validator, today what happens is if there is a validator, there is a single node operator who's running the validator with, and they hold the validator private keys and that's how they run the nodes, right? So what distributed validator technology allows us to do is instead of a single node operator actually running a validator, there can be a cluster of node operators who can actually run a, a single validator, right? Which means there can be multiple node operators who can trustlessly collaborate and actually run a single validator and they do this by actually uh, splitting the keys in a manner that all of them need to, a majority of them need to say the same thing for the attestation to actually happen. So they are almost building in a lot of redundancy by now making sure that a majority of the node operators have to agree on what happens. So even if you take a case, for example, where a single node operator in the cluster of node operators is offline, it hardly affects the validator itself. So the validator will continue to be online. So what DVT allows is, it reduces a lot of your tail risk in a very meaningful manner. So the slashing risk, the risks of being offline and having very poor performance, actually reduced by orders of magnitude with distributed validator technology. And that is something that we are kind of early adopters of. We are already on testnet with SSV network. We are also talking to other uh, DVT uh, protocols as well. And the idea is once their technology actually stabilizes on mainnet, we will work together with them and also have a DVT pool in which they can again be permissionless operators. And because a lot of the risk to user funds have been strongly uh, reduced because of DVT, we could even perhaps reduce the bond more significantly from the ETH as well. And at that point in time, it will be so simple and so low capital barriers to actually run nodes. And without negatively impacting the security of user funds, why? Because the probability of slashing, the probability of penalties, etc., has been reduced so significantly because of DVT, where multiple node operators will come together to run every single validator, right? And perhaps we could pair up a set of uh, Permissioned and permissionless operators together in a single validator to make this even more robust, for example. So I think we could do a lot more for, uh, in terms of adding to the resilience of our node operator layer, including actually lower bond requirement for home takers once this technology stabilizes without putting any user funds at higher risk. I mean, and that's getting closer
0: to Vitalik's uh, node from your phone yeah. dream, right? I, I don't know. That's That sounds pretty cool. So um, with liquid staking, there's this dream to have it be able, you could use it in DeFi, like across DeFi. So that hasn't been realized yet. How is ETHX going to realize that dream of, yeah, you could use this in DeFi, anywhere, wherever you want. Yeah, I
1: think, well, maybe, uh, I think, like we spoke about Millie, right? I think there are very few NSDs which have gotten meaningful DeFi acceptance, right? I think uh, except maybe the top liquid-saving protocol, the rest of them have really struggled to have uh, like full-blown DeFi ecosystem, right? So this is where uh, actually we wanted to uh, lean on our experience building this across exchange. So one of the places that our experience actually building comes to... Uh, very nice impact is actually on the DeFi side really, right? Because what we have done is a cross exchange token after token, like liquid shaking derivative after liquid shaking derivative, we have built out full-blown DeFi on the respective chains, right? We have 40 plus protocols today who are already partner with Stader and they collectively hold across chains about $9 billion in TVL, right? If we take those protocols, they are that large actually, right? And I'll just give you some examples, right? On maticx for example, our primary pool, is with balancer, right? So we have like a, a 12 to 15 million dollar pool, uh, which has minimum impermanent loss and it has deep liquidity where people can swap out MATIC eggs for MATIC right away. And on the back of that, and the chainlink oracle that we got for MATIC X, we are also listed on Aave, for example. So we are live on Aave with the on Polygon, so users can use MATIC X as collateral, use borrow stables with it, or borrow MATIC with it and do it as well. And we didn't just stop there. For example, we then went ahead and tied up with Kian, which is a automated strategies protocol. For example, and we have automated this entire leverage taking loop for users on uh, on Polygon, right? So I think that's the kind of full blown set of partnerships that we want to bring to the table, right? Similarly, people can now use Maticx and Mint My, right? So people can use Maticx and trade it as options, right? They could sell call options buy call options, right, sell puts, et cetera, of MaticX itself. And they could participate in DeFi option walls with MaticX. So that's kind of the journey we've had on most of the other chains. And what we have seen is that uh, there are very specific requirements that DeFi protocols actually need to ensure that the addition is a robust addition to their ecosystem and is kind of value-occurative to all their users. And <laughs> it all starts with, firstly, having deep liquidity for your liquid LiquidSync token, right? So a lot of the protocols we found have, like typically not at that base there. So they're starting to work on it and we are seeing strong improvement in the level of liquidity that many of the LSDs are now starting to have. But that's the starting point that we will with ETHX get to very quickly, right? So we'll have meaningful liquidity for ETHX ETH so that users can swap out of their ETHX position and move to ETH right away. We will follow that up with the Chainlink Oracle, right? As soon as our uh, ETHX token goes live on DEXS, we will actually couple that with the the work beginning to get a change in Oracle. Now, when you have these two, essentially getting into money markets then becomes the logical next step and it's right for them as well. Because if you look at it for any token to be usable as collateral, they should be able to liquidate in case someone has borrowed too much and is not able to adjust his position to the right LTV, right? So it means that people should be able to uh, take these tokens and get it back in terms of the asset that they've first deposited, right? So they should be able to liquidate these assets into uh, any other common token, right? So it could be ETH or USDC, etc. So ETHX, therefore, has to have liquidity. And for them to know the right price at all times, similarly, they need the chain oracle, right? So this combination can then get you into money markets, can get you into over-collateralized stable coins, can also get you into DeFi option walls, etc. So I think that's the starting point. And this is the same journey that we've done chain after chain. And we have a dedicated BD team that's quite experienced and done this on multiple chains. And we'll do the same for Ethics as well. And the good thing is, I think we have a little bit of experience working with core ETH protocols as part of our journey on Polygon, especially, right, where we have worked with Palenser, uh, with Aave, uh, with Chido, and a few other protocols as well.
0: Well, thank you so much, Vivian, for being here and talking to us about Stator. I'm really pumped about that uh, that home staking uh, at, a, at a, a lower level for, you know, people without 32 ETH like me. So that's exciting. And so, uh, you know, would love to have you back on the podcast when you get an, a, a new feature. When When is this going to be launched?
1: Yeah, so we are looking at uh, early March for this milli So that's when we're expecting to launch. So right in time for Shanghai. ETH can... Denver, I love it. Yeah, ETH Denver as well. So we'll be there at ETH Denver. So we that's it. right. Cool, cool. Awesome. Well, it was great talking
0: to you, sir. And uh, we'll talk soon and I'll be, I'll be following along on Twitter. Thank you so much, Billy. And thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, everyone, for listening in. Thanks for listening to the Pool Together community podcast. You can visit pooltogether.com to deposit. And we'd love to hear what you thought about today's episode. So visit the Pool Together Discord and let us know.